Now, we know that there are 36 counties in Oregon. If we didn't know that, it's a good reminder. One of them is the county from which we broadcast. It's Multnomah County. I don't know it's the famousest, but it's the biggest. It hasn't yet opened up. We're going to talk to Jessica Faker-Peterson about that, Multnomah County Commissioner for District 3. Also going to talk about early childhood learning and probably a couple other things. you got questions, you can text in at 971-220-5979. It's 971-220-5979. And Commissioner Vega-Peterson is on the line right now. Jessica, how are you doing? Very good, Jefferson. How are you? I am well. Everybody in your world safe? Everybody making making good on what's going on right now? We're doing the best we can, just like everybody. Is Multnomah County going to enter phase one tomorrow? That's the hope, and that's the plan. So we submitted um, last Friday, Multnomah County submitted our application for reopening to the governor's office. Um, We had a briefing yesterday afternoon to make sure we were still on track to open, and now we're waiting to hear if we've been approved from the governor's office, and that should be happening today. There has been an uptick in COVID cases over the past week. Does that worry you as we move into phase one or as you try to move into phase one, or you think that's just mostly about testing going up? I think it's something that we definitely want to watch, and that's something that um, you know our public health folks said yesterday is, is definitely something that we are going to be watching. Um, they did feel that Part of it is because we are doing more testing, which um, which we should be, and we're going to continue to do more testing. So potentially we'll even see more cases grow, you know, over time as testing becomes more widespread. Um, but it's something that we take seriously, you know, when you see numbers go up. One of the things, one of the points, though, that Kim Taves, who works for the county, made is that if, you know, she's like, think back to where we were when we were talking about this in March, the the graph that we were afraid of seeing was really that that ski slope that went straight up right that curve where cases were doubling um day after day after day that was the potential that COVID-19 had for spreading in our community the numbers that we're seeing right now where they're going up and down a bit um you know we were watching those but it's way different than where we were when we started in March and thought of of how bad this could get what are the communications like between the governor's office and the county? Is it mostly shooting back and forth paper? Is it experts talking to each other? Is it, in fact, uh, Commissioner Kofori or you or another commissioner communicating with a staffer or maybe Kate Brown herself? What is that back and forth like? Because a lot of this is two steps, right? Stuff happen- has to happen in the county, and then the governor's office has to approve it. You know, there's a lot of conversations that happen on a lot of levels um, from the from local government and the state or within local governments. I mean, we have, you know, obviously our um, health department, our public health folks are talking to folks at OHA, the Oregon um, Health Agency, you know, so that so that they're on the same page and they're understanding what's happening. There's um, conversations that happen between our government relations team and there are conversations that happen from elected to elected. Um, but this is such a big thing, and Multnomah County itself is such a big government that there's a lot of conversations that happen um, directly between the staff level, too. They are the experts, and it's always good when you have the experts talking to one another. The last piece, as I understand it, the last criteria, the last criterion that the county has to fulfill are the 122 contact tracers, 122 required, 65 hired, I think another 30 in the pipeline. Uh, has that been the biggest barrier? What have, wh- why is Multnomah County behind other counties in opening up? 
You know, I don't look at it as Multnomah County being behind other counties. We're doing the smartest thing for the largest population in the state in our county, right? We're the, we're the most dense, we're the most urban, and, um, and we had to think about what was the right way to open to, to make sure that we we're following, you know, the public health needs for our community. One thing that Multnomah County was, um, was dedicated to from the beginning was making sure that every Multnomah County resident was going to be, you know, that we were putting, um, we were putting measures in place that was looking out for every Multnomah County resident. And that includes people in our black, indigenous and people of color communities, right? Um, we already know that brown and black folks have been hit harder by this across the country. And that's true what we're seeing in Multnomah County as well. So when we thought about um, opening up and we looked at what the state was requiring, um, Multnomah County made the decision that we weren't just going to do those things and make sure we were meeting those requirements, but that we were going to go beyond that and put in additional criteria that made sure that um, the testing that was available, the contact tracing that was available, the people who were doing that work were reflective of our community and that there were ways for every Multnomah County resident, including our bright and black communities, um, to, to have the you know, to have the resources they need in addressing COVID-19. So that was one of the things that, that we've been working really hard on and putting in place. In terms of the contact tracers, um, that is something we are on a goal of meeting that requirement. There was, um, they're, they're in the middle of the hiring period. They did a, you know, they put the, the job posting out and they got over, they received over 1,000 applications for those positions and um, in a lot of those applications there were people who were applying that had the um, the cultural background the language need you know the language um, knowledge all of that of things we were looking for to make sure that the contact tracers that we were hiring are reflective of our community in Multnomah County so that's on track to, to, to for us to meet that goal and you'll think you'll meet that today because or you know by tomorrow you think that those are all going to get hired by then or do you hope to be able to reopen and then you know catch up on the contract tracing hires well one of the things that was interesting about not going first is that we were able to see what happened with other counties applications and there were counties that hadn't met the uh, 15 tracers per 100,000 people um, benchmark either but they had a plan in place for reaching that so we knew that we didn't have to have all of those people hired um, by the time we reopened, we just had to have a plan in place um, in order to meet that goal. And like I said, we not only have the plan, but we're out, we're in the middle of actually, you know, making that happen. So we should have those people hired in the next few weeks. Who makes those hiring decisions and how they go about doing the recruitment, et cetera, just put it up on Craigslist and Maxlist and hope people apply. How's that go? Yeah, there's, uh, you know, I don't know every single detail, but the, the the main ways that we recruit are the, you know, are the ways that we have been recruiting for this. So I think that, you know, we have a Multnomah County website that has job postings on it. Everybody can check it out if they're interested in working for Multnomah County. It's a great place to be. Um, and then we also, you know, I think it's important because we wanted to have a, a very broad and diverse pool of applicants reaching out to community organizations, reaching out to partner organizations. Um, you know, there's a lot of people who have uh, jobs in our community that uh, that make them a good fit, like community health workers, um, to do some of this contact tracing, right? So there is a there, so there is a broad reach to do that, um, and you know, and then and then that's when that's what kicks off the hiring process. Let's move to talk about the protests. We've got overlapping pandemics, overlapping public health crises, and overlapping historic discussions happening in the country and happening in the world. 
How did that first start coming across your desk? Maybe as a human being, also certainly as a county commissioner. When did you realize there is right now at this moment a critical discussion that is on fire around racial justice and police reform, etc.? Oh, well, you know, I mean, I think that all of us have been watching in just in amazement and, and possibly with, you know, joy that to see there's an awakening that's so broad and so deep across our country and even internationally uh, to waking up to the realities of um, what racism has done to this country, the reality that people are living with every day and have been living with for, you know, hundreds of years in this country, um, and also the realities of, you know, what happens when, um, when our police, you know, are behaving in such violent and racist ways that that people are continuing to die. So, I mean, this is something that we've know, known has been going on for a long time. A lot of us have life experience with it, you know, and and know the realities of it on a, such a personal level. But I think that this, you know, that this really um, came to the forefront uh, when when the video of what happened to George Floyd went so 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 broad and so viral so quickly and then there was an immediate response in terms of protest in terms of action um, and that has been incredible to see how do you think about on a day-to-day basis whether you should go out and join protesters whether you should stay in the office or and make sure that there are things that are safe with the justice center of COVID-19 or the early childhood work or where you need to quarantine yourself a little bit, recognizing you're certainly essential to some operations and you don't want to get sick. How do you walk through that decision of how you want to kind of spend your time where you are? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that everybody's been thinking about how they can best engage in what's happening right now with the protests or how they're going to show up in community because there's, you know, there's a pandemic out there. And one of the things that I've really liked seeing, and I've seen this on social media a couple of times, is that, you know, people can show up for this movement. People can show up to fight racism in so many different ways. For some people, that looks like going out and protesting and going out every night to do that. For other people, it's, you know, um, like raising awareness and, and, and advocating for policies and writing, you know, elected officials of asking for, you know, um, no more money for SROs. Other, for other people, it's really having tough conversations in their own family with their own friends about what racism really means and, and, and confronting it more directly than they have been. I know a lot of people who have been who have really wanted to go out and, and, and protest and, and um, be part of what's happening here, um, but have, have had a lot of concerns about their health from that. And I think that's a very real and very serious thing, and nobody should be ashamed of that. Um, and that there are lots of other ways that um, people can show up to show their their solidarity and their commitment to ending racism. How far should we go? The city, heck, the county's got the sheriff's department. How far should we go in transforming law enforcement? Oh, I think we should go as far as we can. I mean, I think that this how is far a can we? Well, that's a, I mean, that, it depends. I think we absolutely have to have this conversation about what we want. You know, and I don't even I don't even want to be using the term com- community policing anymore. I think it's really about community safety and community health. And what does that look like for um, for us? What does that look like for our community? Whether it's the city or whether it's the county or whether it's the state. I mean, all of the all of the our public safety system and our justice system works together. It's not one agency is in charge of everything. Everybody has to be working together. So it's a broader conversation that has to happen. I think there have been there are ideas that are out there that have been out there. You know, um, you know, 
from advocacy that has been happened from the black community, from people who are interested in just criminal justice reform for a long time. Um, so it's, it's to take those ideas and have discussions about them. But, you know, we, we need to look at what's, what other communities and other countries have done in terms of how they've really um, answered the question of community health and safety. Um, that doesn't necessarily require somebody with a gun showing up to address a problem that um, has to do with, you know, relationship building and having having um, communities, you know, have conversations with with what they want their law enforcement to, to look like and to be and to be participating in that. I think these are all things that are possible here. I'm really interested in seeing, because I do a lot of work around transportation, um, TriMet to really have a discussion about what transit policing needs to actually be and really get away from some of the ideas that it, it may need, need to be policing, but like, what does the community wanna see? What has worked in other areas? Um, can, we, can we bring back more of the people who are, um, who are there to respond to community needs with, without having to be um, you know, necessarily law enforcement? What does that look like? How can we have people feel safe in using transit, but also people feel safe um, in using transit, meaning like how can people feel like their their safe is, safety is protected, but also that they're not going to be um, that they're not going to be um, singled out because of the color of their skin or how they're dressed or things like that. That I know that people in the community do feel when it comes to fair enforcement and other things. Is a three to five percent shift in the police department budget as been proposed most recently? Is that a sufficient change to you? You know, I think that um, it's a great. And I think it's, you know, again, making making smart decisions about where you're going to be moving that money um, is, you know, is something that needs to happen. There, there have been conversations that have been happening for a long time about getting our, our criminal justice system and our public safety system to work better together, to be more responsive, to have fewer disparities in, in terms of race and ethnicity, right? Like, those are conversations that have been happening. And... I always think that we need to be making that change and we are working on that change, but at the same time, there's still a system in place that has this structure um, that we have to figure out how we can change that structure. So I think it's a good start. Um, I don't think anybody thinks it's enough. Is defund the police the talking point you think is the sort of smart talking point? Um, you know, I was just reading an article yesterday about how, you know, that phrase defund the police is such can be such a you know, a gift to people like Trump in terms of, oh, they want to they take take away your police. But there's also been some really thoughtful um, articles about what that actually means. And it means like, hey, let's look at how we've traditionally been doing public safety, traditionally been doing criminal justice and look at what what it could be. Right. And and move money from straight potentially law enforcement to more community programs, more programs around mental health and addiction around housing people, right? Those are those are not things that I think, you know, would put, so I want us to be, you know, cognizant of what actually that means and what that looks like, because it's not something that's, you know, that's um, so incendiary. It's actually something that I think people are interested in talking about and seeing happen. How do you feel about the fence surrounding the Justice Center? Um, the feds running the justice system. I, I know, so, you know, the Justice Center is a place where we have our Multnomah County downtown jail. And there are a lot of people who are Multnomah County employees that work there. And there are people that are that are in custody that are, you know, whose safety and is very important. So I think that, um, I think that we need to make sure that we're, you know, protecting the people that work there from, 
from violence or damage that could that could occur. I'm not so you know if the having the feds do it. I mean, I, I, from what I know, there was no no police there um, two nights ago during the protest. Right, there was just the the Multnomah County folks that were there, um, but not additional police force. So you know that's something that um, I would rather see that kind of work be done locally than with from federal um, folks at all. Which county commissioner, maybe it's all of them, maybe it's mostly the sheriff, which county commissioner is taking the biggest interest in how we're thinking about county law enforcement, how we're thinking about county jails? Yeah, I think all of us are interested in it and, and, you know, and have participated in conversations about what that could look like. The chair's office has really um, taken on the work of an organization called, or a group that sits in Multnomah County called LIPSIC, which is the local um, Public Safety Coordinating Council. And that's that's an entity that convenes multiple people from multiple jurisdictions to talk about um, criminal justice reform and how, and you know, what the direction we're going and how we get there. Um, before, before I was elected, that was something that Commissioner Judy Shipwreck really ran, and now that's in the chair's office. So she really is doing a lot of that work, and her office is doing a lot of work in that area. But all, for all of us, this is a priority, and and you know something that we're we're concerned about how this how this develops. Anybody we should really be talking to on that front that's taking a real interest and showing real innovation or thoughtfulness or expertise in that body that you think the community should be hearing from. Yeah, you know, I think that um, there's a couple of people, and you may have already talked to some of these. You know, um, Abby Stamp has been leading the work on lipstick for the past several years, and she's been really pushing on this effort. We convened a conversation that was um, that happened earlier um, this year, or maybe it was last year. I don't know this year. It's so crazy. But um, I think it was at the beginning of this year to talk about exactly what that could look like. So she would be a great person to talk to. And then obviously the incoming DA, Mike Schmidt, he really ran on a platform of criminal justice reform. He has a lot of experience in this. And I think that he's, I'm really excited about him um, coming on board and seeing um, how that conversation goes with him and the DA position. Apparently on Twitter last night, there were folks that uh, reported there being people who tore through the fence uh, for what it's worth. Do want to ask about one other thing. You've been working and applaud to you. Uh, You've been applause to you, and I applaud you for working on early childhood education, trying to get towards universal preschool. As I understand it now, there are two competing, well, I'm going to call them competing, two simultaneous at least initiatives to try to fund and put in place universal preschool. What are the difference between the two? And do you think at some point they're going to combine? Yep. So, so there are, so preschool for all is the initiative that I've been working on. And it's something that I've been working on with community for over the past two years. Um, we, a couple of years ago, um, I convened a task force to really come together to answer the question, what would it look like if, every child in Multnomah County had a chance to experience a preschool that was right for them, that was joyful, and that was inclusive. And, um, and we brought together, you know, there were 42 different individual, or I'm sorry, there were 42 different organizations. There were 100 different individuals that were a part of putting together this report that was released last summer that, that had this vision of what it could be. And it was everybody from, you know, we had parent voice on there. We had early learning experts, schools, healthcare, housing. Um, you know, a, a wide variety of folks who were there to talk about what this vision was. And it really came out of the need that, um, and the knowledge that for a lot of kids who were showing up in kindergarten and first grade, they're already coming behind their peers because they haven't had the same opportunity. They haven't had experienced the same preschool environment. And 
you know, those are black and brown kids. Those are kids from low-income households. Those are children whose families are speaking languages other than English in the home, children with special needs, children of incarcerated parents, right? There's a whole group of children that aren't getting the same start. And so we designed a system that really centered how we can best serve them, as well as serving an ecosystem right now of, of early learning that doesn't have enough public support whose workers are not making living wage and who don't have the career development and professional development opportunities to really make sure it's a st sustainable system where they can stay and have a career. So all of that went into the preschool for all um, report or preschool for all report, as well as the work that we've been doing since then. I think at the same time there, uh, the DSA was working on looking at how there can be, you know, a, sh a, a shift in how wealth is, is shared in this, community and they were looking at a revenue measure that um, that would tax high income earners and, and, and then use that funding to fund something that was socially good. And they um, they landed on universal preschool because it is such an important and critical need. Um, and so that was kind of how two different um, two different work started happening. Since then, we've had a lot of conversation about, you know, what it would look like to come together. I think both of us have had, um, you know, reflections on our policy and, and responses to what the other is doing in the hopes that there's a path to come together. Um, you know, I would say right now the biggest the biggest differences are how the genesis and kind of the direction of, of where we go. For Preschool for All, we're really focused on making sure that we're supporting the whole ecosystem. So it's a mixed delivery model. So it's, this is not like a system where we're bumping out a school system um, and, and just adding a couple more grades there. We really want to make sure that as we move forward with this, we are, um, we are supporting the existing child care providers, the existing early learning centers, um, so that the licensed home-based providers aren't going to be left out or even forced to close because of a new preschool, you know, publicly funded preschool model, which unfortunately we've seen happen in other places like um, like, you know, Washington, D.C. or New York City when they've moved forward with this. So we're trying to avoid some of those unintended consequences. And I think, you know, really the fact that we are we are looking at how we can make sure that the kids who most critically need it, um, brown and black kids, that we're doing something to change a system and to put a new system in place that actually supports them early on and is making upstream investment, that's exactly the kind of change that we need to have right now. So the universal preschool proposal would fund it with a tax on higher higher income Portlanders or higher income folks in the county. How does your plan fund it? It's, we're looking at a similar mechanism, so it's not that different. Um, where there's a little bit of uh, difference in rates and you know what exactly that looks like and how much money it would raise. You know, we've taken a lot of time with the preschool for all team and um, you know within Multnomah County to look at what's our existing capacity in the early learning system to actually grow this so that we can uh, we can we can serve the number of children who actually need it and what's a realistic time that we can grow so that we're not losing some of the components that are important to our program like bringing all providers along with us and growing those um, quality pieces that are so important to have the long-term benefits for kids that research shows right so so for us we don't we know that like within let's say um, Five years, we will probably our program would cost about 150 million dollars, right? And that would grow over time. So we don't need to go out for quite as much money as what they're estimating they would need. We're talking to Jessica Vega Peterson, County Commissioner. Thank you so much for spending the time. When's the next thing to watch? When do you need to get this out? You're trying to get this passed in November, I think. Uh, yeah. When's the, the sort of decision point of what you get referred and when you refer it? 
Yeah, there's a lot of activity that's happening in the next couple of months. So we're going to be um, we're going to be putting a poll into the field to see where voters are at to make sure they're just as strongly with us as they were um, when we did our poll last time. And we're going to be having conversations, you know, within Multnomah County and especially with my board um, to make sure that they are on board with moving forward with this. And then we would ask them to refer this to the ballot at the end of July. Commissioner, thank you so much for the time. Thanks, Jefferson. Great to talk to you. Have a great day.